Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Peter Hazelhurst, CEO and co-founder of Synctera. Of course, you may have seen Peter on the Finnovate stage any number of times in his earlier career back uh, in the early days of Finnovate. Um, Peter, thanks for joining me. It's really great to have you. Awesome. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, a longtime fan of Finnovate and the many varied trips to Manhattan to uh, do demos and seven-minute pitches and stuff like that. It's a it's a fun brand, and I'm really excited to be back here today. Excellent. And you can go, by the way, check out finnovate.com slash videos. We do have video of all of his old demos there. So I don't know, Peter, if that embarrasses you a little bit, but check him out. Going back to 2008, 2009, even, I think we've got him. Uh, but but anyway, we're here to talk about something a little bit different. Um, you have a new company that you're working with now called Synctera. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what your role there is? Yeah, absolutely, Greg. So look, what we've done with Synctera is focusing on uh, an, a part of the marketplace where we're seeing a lot of demand from fintechs, think neobanks, remittance companies, payments companies, to find a sponsor bank to work with. And as we've seen the marketplace develop, it's pretty clear there isn't enough supply. So if demand is fintechs, supply is community banks that do uh, servicing of them. The challenge in the marketplace is how do you get more banks online and available for banking uh, to work with the fintechs? Syncterra sits in the middle and is creating a two-sided marketplace where fintechs come along and say, here's my profile, this is what I do, this is my funding level, this is the type of users I want to get. And then we do some due diligence on them, we understand what they're looking to achieve, and then we surface that to our network of banks and say, okay, here comes this fintech, we're not going to tell you who it is, this is their profile, this is their risk level, do you want to offer your bank as a provider to them? And then we allow the bank to surface what they think their pricing should be in terms of cost for an ACH or how much rev share on interchange or how much they're going to charge for KYC. And then we present back to the fintech three banks anonymized saying, here are three banks that would love to work with you. Here's their different price vectors. And here's the launch date that can matter to you. So think of it as a two-sided marketplace, banks meeting fintechs. And ultimately, the goal is to streamline and go to market as fast as possible. Excellent. No, I think it's a really unique idea and one certainly I see a lot of value in. Um, let, let's talk about this word a little bit, you know, this idea of partnerships, because that's really what you're getting at here is this idea that you can quickly find fintechs. If you're a bank, you can find fintechs to partner with. If you're a fintech, you can find banks to partner with. Um, but I think the word partnership has been sort of thrown around in the fintech sphere for a little while. It means different things to different people. Um, but but how do you see that word partnership? And, and how is this relationship different from a vendor? or vendee relationship? So I think it's, it depends on which side of the marketplace you're on. If you're a fintech, what you're looking for in a bank partner is um, a combination of good pricing, uh, a schedule for launch, but also potentially alignment of interests. So one of the things that we've seen on the fintech side is a number of fintechs coming to us saying, hey, we're really looking for banks that are interested in social issues or DEI as an example. And as a result, what we're trying to do is match them up to banks that are perhaps B corporations or aligned with those sort of goals. On the bank side of things, traditionally in community banking, they have, uh, and in fintech banking, 
they've been somewhat subordinate to their provider of technology stacks. And our job is to empower the banks to get back into the primary relationship with the fintechs. We know they can't do the technology stack, so we build all of that for them. We know that they have relatively limited operational uh, resources, so we do that for them. But what we want to focus in on is actually helping the two sides of the marketplace meet and then matchmake on product strategy. So some community banks want to do lending, some community banks want to do deposits. That's the goal. Truly a partnership where both succeed and both win together. Excellent. And I suppose one other thing we ought to clear up too, because the word fintech even means different things to different people. What, what types of fintechs are you specifically talking about here on that other side of the coin? Yeah, so our focus uh, or where we see a lot of interest is uh, in a couple of big buckets, neobanks or challenger banks. So think um, a fintech that, or a community, uh, a, a neobank that is focused on YouTubers or for neobank for artists and, and painters and so forth. We've seen, as of yesterday, we saw a neobank for people that love pets. Think of it as communities of consumers that are aligned around an interest. And what we're seeing is a further and further fractionalization of it. So think of a neobank for doctors, one for lawyers and so on. That's what we mean by fintechs. And it could also be a remittance company or a payments company but it's, it's the people offering direct to consumer products or direct to small business. So you can imagine a lot of embedded finance use cases, like people creating a neobank for drivers on Uber, as an example. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I think it. I think it does, and I think it's really interesting. You know, and, and I'm starting to see that the next question I had here was looking at community banks in particular and, and why this is a good fit for for them um, it, when uh, or them in specific. And I think this is you're starting to get to this idea of now. There, it's really about the community. It's about the relationships that you have. I love the idea of a pet lovers bank. I think that's I think that's hilarious. But again, I can see people coming together and really being excited to engage in a project like that in a way that they maybe wouldn't be with a large your financial institution? So I think the way you should think about it is if you are a community bank today, um, one of your big challenges is how do you grow your bank? And normal growth in the community banking market space evolves around maybe finding the resources to go build a second branch in town. Or if you're growing really effectively, maybe it's also by the community bank next door in the city next door. And those growth prospects are quite challenging, particularly in COVID times and particularly in an age where the consumer isn't going to retail physical locations. So your alternatives are try and maybe stand up a digital brand, which is really expensive, or find some third party such as us that can help you launch a fintech as a service brand that then you can encourage third party fintechs like the Neobank for Pets to use your brand. Uh, use your bank license for service. And as a community bank, you have one special thing that uh, bigger banks don't have. So if you're under 10 billion in assets, you have the ability to charge full price Durban exempt interchange on a debit card swipe. The way to think about that is if a consumer swipes a debit card powered by Pet Bank, um, the fintech or the bank that's under the covers earns $1.40 for every $100 of spend i.e. 140 bips of interchange. The normal banking relationship with the fintech is to rev share that interchange, something like 100, bank, 100 bips to the fintech and 40 bips to the bank. Our business model with the bank is because we're operating and running that platform for them and also helping them offer other services like KYC, Ledger, 
card processing and others, we rev share the uh, earnings by the bank 50-50. And so it's completely aligned to their success. Yeah, and here you see that we're partnership really starting to take on a different meaning here. This is this really is a true partnership, a 50-50 split, which I think is, again, a more, you know, I think the word partnership really does apply. Now, I want to take the conversation in a slightly different direction now. We talked at the beginning about your experience with Yodley back in the day, but since then, your most recent experience uh, as the head of Uber Money is particularly interesting to me. Obviously, Uber is well known for delivering seamless customer experiences, uh, but we all know that when it comes to money movement, it's really difficult to get that type of of seamless experience and community banks in particular, I think are really likely to be beholden to outdated systems that can limit the level of customer experience that they can deliver. Can you talk a little bit about that transition from Uber to Sinkterra and what kinds of lessons you brought with you into this new role? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the great things that we had at, at Uber was a fantastic set of resources on business development, legal, and compliance and other things that allowed us in the product building side of Uber Money to really move quickly and create lots of value for our drivers and riders uh, all over the place. And what was really interesting about Uber in general is because we were in so many countries and we had so many different types of customers, we basically had to accept money in every possible form, whether it's physical cash and realize like 40% of all trips were paid for in cash worldwide, which most people don't even experience in the US. Yeah, I had no idea. Exactly. So think of cash as minimum problem, which is at the end of a business day, the driver ends up owing Uber money, not the other way around, uh, because they owe us the commission. And so then you have to solve collections and you have to do all of these things. Suffice it to say that at our team at Uber, we were connected to pretty much everything everywhere. So think of Stripe, Adyen, Braintree, Kushki, you name it. Uh, we were connected to all of it. And what that we were lucky to do is have a team that would help us bridge those relationships. When we decided to launch a debit, a bank account effectively for drivers, we actually then needed to do exactly what the Neobank for Pets is doing, which is figure out who are our partners going to be in each of these marketplaces. I was really lucky. I could send a message to our BD team, hey, go find me the best card processing partner to work with, negotiate the price and come back. The average fintech that gets started out of YC, they don't have the resources to do that. And so the learning from Uber is if you could package up the best-in-class services with a single set of APIs, you'd make it really, really easy for a fintech to come to market, and it would save them a lot of time and money, and they'd be able to get to what they do well, which is building community. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a real strength. And again, it just lets, to your point, lets people do what they do well, focus on the areas that they're really specialists in. Um, and, and I love the idea of kind of encouraging this, this competition. You see that playing out now with Sinkterra, um, how you're kind of putting different people into competition with each other. Um, and, and just really it creates this dynamic where you get a more efficient marketplace, you get a, a much more seamless opportunity to transact. So, you know, looking at kind of the broader fintech and banking ecosystem, you know, you mentioned you were in a position where you had a lot of advantages that allowed you to, to do some things that might not be as possible for um, other people. What advice do you have for the people who are struggling to create this kind of ideal customer experience and maybe are facing significant hurdles due either to outdated technology in their stacks, inertia among their coworkers, or any number of other equally valid reasons? So I think it's, it's, it's a bit bimodal. So if you're a, a newly funded startup uh, graduating from YC, uh, ideally, what you're trying to take advantage of is the fact that tech companies like ours 
provide you a whole stack of capabilities that you don't really have to spend a whole lot of time building. Gone are the days where you built your own OFAC verifier or you went and built your own connection to the ATM networks. You don't need to do that anymore. There are great partners to do that. And there are vendors like ours that can help do all of those things in one go. And I think if you really focus in on what you do best, which is understanding your customer base and your community, that's where you're going to get the most leverage. And let the tech folks like us build out the hard stuff and you focus in on where you create value, which is onboarding, CAC conversion, community development, and all the other aspects of what a startup looks like. On the embedded finance use case, so if you're an existing small business or you're an existing company, say, for example, you have a service where you help plumbers come to people's homes to do services. I know I need one right now. The, the use case there is, hey, you're probably really, really good at maintaining a marketplace for plumbers, but not very good at payments. Rely on people that are actually experts in this space, build out your services, and uh, you'll go to market faster and you'll spend more of your dollars on the things that matter to you and less on the focus of building out core tech, which can be acquired as opposed to build. Sure, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think it's it sounds simple in some sense, and I suppose it is a simple idea. Let let people specialize in the areas that that they are really most comfortable in, or they've got the most experience. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about creating the best product possible, the best experience possible, and, and this can only really be done by letting people who are at that elite level take control, take ownership of those areas where they've got that expertise and, and they've got the ability to drive it forward. Um, well, well, this has been a great conversation, Peter. Thank you again for joining me. Really interesting to learn more about Syncterra and and just in general, how you're looking at this uh, partnership ecosystem. And um, I, I thank you again for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Greg. This was really fun. And uh, I look forward to seeing all of your listeners come join our APIs and start building. Excellent. Sounds good. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.